Listener Production. She was hunted down like prey. Chased and attacked by four dingoes on Gari. The bite marks cover her body. Corralled from the sand and into the sea by a pack of dingoes on her morning jog. The dingo has been a long time problem. Yeah, so that's a story from last week that made international headlines. Thankfully, that woman survived, but only because a bystander jumped in and punched the dingoes and dragged her onto his ute. And apparently they... They were still attacking her as he was dragging her onto the ute. Now, one of those dingoes was killed by the authorities. It was known by the local rangers as the leader of the pack, and it wasn't the dingo's first attack. It had also put a six-year-old girl in hospital in April. And this comes after another dingo was killed last month after a series of attacks. This is all happening on Gari, formerly known as Fraser Island. So why are these attacks happening? And he's killing the dingoes the right thing to do. And what should you do if you come face to face with a dingo in the bush? Because they're small, if we stand tall, we actually are a bit intimidating to the dingo. So standing tall and uh, then not turning our back, not waving our arms around and running around, because um, that kind of acts like prey. Is that helpful advice for you, Jan Fran? Uh, I don't know how tall I would stand in front <laughs> of anyone, let alone a dingo. I'm five foot two. That's as tall as I get. Put your arms in the air, Jan. They're giving out sticks on Gari now so people can stand even taller. So that would be particularly helpful for you. Okay. The sticks I will take. Yeah, I hear. <laughs> that is our briefing topic. First, here are today's headlines. It is Thursday, July 27. Well, the actor Kevin Spacey has been found not guilty of sexual offence charges by a London jury. I'm enormously grateful to the jury for having taken the time to examine all of the evidence and all of the facts carefully before they reach their decision. And I am humbled by the outcome today. That was Kevin Spacey uh, just moments ago outside of the court, getting um, a little bit emotional there as he spoke to the media. He was facing allegations from four men of sexual offences. He was cleared of all nine charges um, after the jury deliberated for three days. And the allegations cover a period of time between 2004 and 2013. And this was specific to when Spacey served as artistic director of the Old Vic Theatre in London. Yeah, this is big news. So these allegations came out in 2017, which was the height of the Me Too movement but also the height of Kevin Spacey's powers as an actor. Um, House of Cards was absolutely dominating television at the time. And after this all came out and he was charged, they had to go on and make the final season without him, essentially killing off his character. And it also pretty much killed his career. Mm, I think he also uh, had shot some scenes for a film called All the Money in the World uh, that was sort of in pre-production at the time and all the scenes had to be scrubbed out and he was replaced by Christopher Plummer in, in that role. During the, the uh, when the verdict was handed down, he was, um, he was crying in the dock. He broke down basically and he mm. sort of put his hand on his heart. He looked at the jury and he, he mouthed the words, thank you, thank you. And uh, he did tell a German magazine, this was before the, um, the verdict, that he knew people who were ready to hire him now as soon as the the, the verdict uh, went his way in London. So sounding like he's wanting to get back on the horse. Yeah, I wonder if he will be able to or not. It's been seven hours and 15 days. 
An Irish-born singer, Sinead O'Connor, has died at the age of 56. She was best known for her cover of a Prince song, Nothing Compares to You. So in a statement uh, shared with Ireland's national broadcaster, Sinead O'Connor's family said, it's with great sadness we announce the passing of our beloved Sinead. Her family and friends are devastated and have requested privacy at this difficult time. Um, her death comes just a year after the suicide of her 17-year-old son and after years of struggles with her own mental health. Yeah, who could forget that track? Mm. She does a much better job of it, obviously, but she was always this real sort of strong non-conformist type mm. character. I know she said in the past that she shaved her head deliberately because music executives wanted her to be conventionally beautiful mm. and she didn't want to do that. She sort of wanted to stand out. But one of the things that she'll be remembered for, I think, the most, aside from her, you know, incredible talent and beautiful voice, is that moment on Saturday Night Live where she ripped up a photo of Pope John Paul I don't know if you you remember mm. that. I mean, I've sort of just seen it in videos, you know, on online. But she was wanting to draw attention to child sex abuse in the Catholic Church. Mm. And I don't think they expected her to do that at all. They thought she was going to come out and just sing and, and go away. And she ripped up the photo and it caused a massive stir at the time. Well, apparently in the rehearsal, she held up a photo of a refugee because it was she was doing a cover of um, a Bob Marley song about war. She holds up a, a picture of a refugee in front of the camera during the rehearsal, but then when the real thing happened, it was a picture of the Pope and she tore it up and apparently the executives of the show were like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, they were flooded with calls and complaints the next day as well. But she'd also been open about her mental health struggle. She told Oprah in 2007, so a long time ago, that she had bipolar and as recently as 2021, she had to cancel a tour because she needed to go on a year-long treatment program for trauma and addiction. She herself um, was the survivor of abuse. So those issues really, really cut deeply for her. And in news out of the US, the country's Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by a quarter percentage point to 5.5%. Um, that is the highest level now since 2001. The inflation rate in the US is 3%, which is relatively low, certainly when compared to here. So the hike has come as a wee bit of a surprise, I think. And we've had eyes on the States because we sort of tend to mirror what's happening over there. And our figures have come out recently showing that inflation has slowed. So I think people are hoping that maybe there won't be another rate rise just yet in Australia. But this isn't this doesn't bode hugely well, does it? Well, I think um, the US are on sort of further along what is a more or less parallel curve with the journey we're on with inflation and interest rates. So um, their Federal Reserve paused rates at the last meeting but said there'll be one or two more basically. So this is the one and there might be another one in September when they meet again. Here in Australia, we got our quarterly figure yesterday, which is a big, important figure. And it showed inflation, as you said, had come down to 6%. It was expected to be 6.2, 6.3. So it's greater than expectations. So that is a really good sign. The quarterly growth in prices was 0.8 instead of uh, 1% or 1.1%. So that's quite a big difference. Um, it shows they're heading in the right direction. What we're battling with here and why we might get another one or maybe two rate rises here as well is that um, the cost of services is still going up. So mm. 
They've largely sorted out the good side of things, um, which was mostly about the supply bottlenecks, which have been sorted out, which is also <laughs> nothing to do with interest rates. Um, that, was a, that was a COVID era problem. That's where it began. Um, but they're still being very careful because services are linked to wages. If wages mm. keep growing up, the cost of services goes up as well. And that's still really concerning. So because of the news yesterday, the expectation on rate rises here in Australia has softened. So a lot of economists were saying probably two. Now they're saying probably one here. So the message is we're getting really close to the peak of interest rates. Okay. I'm looking sus because I, 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 everything that you said makes absolute sense, but you don't know until you know. And, uh, and I, I thoroughly hope you're right because mm. I do not want those interest rates to rise anymore. Oh, yeah. And people are in, in real trouble. Yeah. Um, we had a story just earlier this week that mortgage stress is at similar levels to the GFC. So let's really hope, cross our fingers and toes that these projections are right. Mm. All right, Jam, we'll catch you again tomorrow. I'm about to talk um, dingoes and how to face off with a dingo. Stand tall. All right, let's find out more about the dingo attacks on Gari, formerly known as Fraser Island. Dr. Bradley Smith is a world-renowned dingo expert from Central Queensland University. He's the author of Dingo Debate, which is published by the CSIRO. Bradley, thank you so much for joining us. If you're in that woman's situation on Gari, you're being confronted by dingoes, what should you do? Yeah, sure. Um, the first thing is that how we react to the dingo influences how they're going to respond. So the most important thing, I think, is to remain calm. And uh, because they're small, if we stand tall, we actually are a bit intimidating to the dingo. So standing tall and, uh, and then not turning our back, not waving our arms around and running around, because um, that kind of acts like prey. So we don't definitely don't want to give any cues to the dingoes like that. And then just call for help. And yeah, back away slowly when it's safe. Yeah, well, Bradley, the natural instinct is to turn around and run like hell and and squeal. But you're saying it's important to stay still and and face-to-face with the dingo. Is that face-to-face contact really important? Yeah, it is because uh, they're smart and they know that if you turn your back, we're not looking at them. So that's when they can come in for a sneaky um, nip on the the bum or the back of the leg. So we definitely don't want to turn Mm. our back. Are they easy to intimidate if you walk towards them or if you shout at them or wave a stick at them what impact would that have as i said dingoes are small and uh, it's dangerous to attack big things big kangaroos big people so if we are intimidating kick sand yell at them growl at them that kind of thing that actually gives them a bit of warning and they, they'll back off they, they don't want to attack because it's dangerous can you explain what's going through their heads when they see us do we know much about that Oh, not really. I mean, it's hard, hard to gather. I mean, most of the time, dingoes don't actually care about us. But, you know, they just want to go about and do their jobs in the day. So, you know, going around their territory, looking for food. When they start associating humans with food, that's when we start getting problems and dingoes starting to um, really get, get a bit pushy, asking or making more contact with us. And it's usually around the food. So, obviously, feeding them is a very stupid idea. Yeah. So managers on Fraser Island, for example, have really clear guidelines and you get fined for feeding because feeding is one of those um, fundamental things that that sets the scene for future. 
So you might feed a dingo today and, you know, nothing will happen, but that's actually impacting the future. So the more times that dingo gets fed and associates food with people, they're going to start expecting food and getting a bit more pushy and demanding. And, uh, and then the cycle goes. So basically feeding dingoes is a life sentence for a dingo. That you, they will be impacted by that. And tourists on Fraser Island, now called Gari, they're being given sticks or little bits of PVC pipe. Can you tell us how that works or, or if they work and how you should use them? What impact would they have? I don't think we have any firm uh, research to, to back up the use of those sticks, but certainly having something on your person to defend yourself against a dingo when something gets really escalated, I mean, certainly that's going to help fend off a dingo. And um, we're just going to make sure that, of course, people don't see them as dingo whacking sticks and go around trying to hurt dingoes, you know? Would it also help to hold that stick above your head to make yourself look bigger to the dingo? Yeah, potentially. I mean, that's another idea. I, I think, again, we're big enough that we're already big. So I think it's more about defending them off as a last resort kind of idea. So the dingo that attacked this woman going for a jog who then ran into the surf and the dingoes went after her, that dingo's been killed. It was tagged. They knew that it was the leader of a pack of dingoes. They had a name for it, CC Green. Um, the dingo had already attacked a child previously and had been raiding campsites. So do you think killing this individual dingo was the right decision? Sometimes it is the right thing to do, to remove an animal that is, um, you know, a really high risk to people. But generally, and parks, of course, do this, it's best to avoid killing dingoes for, for this kind of thing. Because killing dingoes is really a short-term fix. It's good politically, uh, makes us feel safer, but actually it doesn't solve the underlying problem. This is a continual thing that, you know, another dingo will just come and do a similar thing. So we need to really fix the underlying problem, which is a human problem. I don't think there's a dingo problem on the island. I think there's a people problem. So, Brad, I was interested to hear you say that it's a human problem there. So you're saying it's not about the dingoes, there's not a, a growth in the, the population on that island. What do you think is actually going on here? Why have we seen these three attacks in a short space of time? I think there's a lot to unpack in terms of why, why there's incidents that occur and why at this moment it's happening quite a bit. The first thing is that, you know, there's a, a small island population of dingoes and there are over 400,000 people a year visiting. A lot of those people don't adhere to the advice that they're given. Firstly, they don't adhere to the advice, so they don't keep their kids close. You know, they, they, they run around, you know, they leave food around, or, you know, they're simply interacting with the dingoes to, you know, get good selfies for their, their socials. All those, those behavioural things that, that we're doing are setting the scene for these future incidents or these interactions to occur. And also, I think one of the big things is that people don't see dingoes as a topwater predator, they don't see them as dangerous. So when people are, you know, on their island, you know, some baking in their bikini on the on the beach, they're not aware that there's this predator walking around roaming the beach. It's behaviour that you don't see when you go to, you know, the Rocky Mountains in the US or you go to Africa. People have real awareness of the predators, the carnivores that live around the place, and people just don't have that same respect for dingoes on the island. Well, they're not as big as some of those other animals. They're not as big as wolves generally, or certainly some of the, the sort of predators you see in Africa. So yeah, I, I guess it's understandable, isn't it? Like this dog that was such a problem that they had to kill it was only 17 kilos. Yeah, they're quite small. Dingoes are only, you know, just above your knee. But, you know, they're most at risk to children. 
children are, mm. are smaller and more like a kangaroo size. Children are the most at risk and a lot of the incidents occur with children on the island. It's the same with, you know, at home, like most of the, and there's thousands and thousands of dog bites and attacks a year with our own dogs. So people should be afraid and manage, manage interactions with dogs and children. So when they go to an island with a, with a wild dog, perhaps they should be more conscientious about how they manage the situation or, or don't go to an island which has such predators around. What is the, the trend line of the population of dingoes on, on Gari Fraser Island? It's not great. So we, we're still learning more about the population, but it's, it's around 150, I'd say. And uh, some of the new genetic research is showing that there, there's a bit of inbreeding um, occurring, which is not a surprise given that it's a closed island population. So anytime we have events where, you know, they get hit by a car or, or we kill them for, for management reasons or they get sick diseases, you know, that's a real impact on their population. Wow, 150, that does sound like quite a, a vulnerable number. If we were to start taking them out, that would do massive damage to that population. And as you said, it's gene pool. Absolutely, yeah. And so they're vulnerable to, to you know, diseases if they come. I think these are a really important population to protect. Gari is uh, protected under the World Heritage Act. You know, it's a national park, so they, they are protected as part of that. So really, like, culling should be a last resort, really, for our management. And I think management on the island are doing a really great job of managing the situation. They fence townships, they fence campgrounds, they provide storage facilities for food, they have warning signs everywhere, they do education, and still people don't adhere to the advice as they should. This might be a controversial view, but I, I personally think that having dangerous animals in the bush in Australia enhances the experience of, of being a human being in that environment, you go to New Zealand where you've the biggest thing you've got is basically a kiwi, or except for the venison, but it's kind of like oh, a bit boring. But you get into the Australian bush and you never know what's going to be rustling in the grass or potentially jumping over the ridge beside you. Don't you think that's part of the beauty of being in the Australian bush? Absolutely. So if you look at all the tourism ads for Gari, for example, you see dingoes on the posters. People actually love to mm. see dingoes and interacting with a dingo in the wild is just such a magic experience. They are such a glorious animal and uh, we just need to respect them and watch them from afar, not try and get too close. And don't show any signs of fear. Well, yeah, yeah. Not fear when you are being approached by one, I suppose. It's a natural respect we have to show them, yeah? A mutual respect. That was dingo expert Bradley Smith. And it sounds like from what he was saying that some small adjustments to our behaviour would allow us to avoid being attacked and then not having to kill the dingoes. So hopefully this whole story has helped build awareness so we all learn a bit more about these wild creatures and how we can coexist with them. Listener.